Good day, everyone. Welcome to Sex Ed Before Bed. I'm your host, Rebecca Nava, and I am honored to have my guest here today, Jessica Ruano. Jessica is a theater director, producer, writer. She is the winner of the 2017 International Women's Day Femi Award for Media. And this year, she was the creator and director of The Gameshi Effect. Welcome, Jessica. Thanks, Rebecca. <laughs> Thank you. So, can you tell me about The Gameshi Effect? Sure. It's uh, kind of an unusual genre of performance, but I describe it as a documentary dance theater performance. Um, and it's about how the legal system handles sexual assault cases. Mm-hmm. And it's called The Gameshi Effect because... It was inspired by the conversations that people were happening, uh, having uh, following the Xi'an Gameshi trial mm-hmm. that I think raised a lot of important questions about how the legal system works and how uh, survivors of sexual violence are treated when they enter into the system. Mm. And it's, it's said to be verbatim, so it's actual stories from real people. Yeah, that's right. So when we were... Uh, working on the show, I interviewed uh, 40 different people, um, most of whom live in Ottawa. There's a few from other places as well. And all these interviews uh, were recorded with permission from the people who were being interviewed. And then the, the um, recordings were transcribed. And then pieces from those um, transcriptions were made into the script. So if you're seeing the show, every word that you hear is uh, word for word from the interviews. So things people actually said, nothing is paraphrased or made up. It's all like real stories in their actual words. Wow. Yeah. I'm so interested in how you recruited people to do this and what was the experience like of interviewing them? It didn't take a lot, honestly. Like when I announced um, on my Facebook page that I was planning to create the show on this topic, and it, and it was, um, the day that the uh, Gameshi verdicts came out and he was um, uh, you know, found not guilty. Mm-hmm. Um, and so people have a lot of opinions about what that means or why that happened, but that is what happened. Um, and so I announced that day that I was planning to put on the show and I had maybe like 20 people right off the bat who were interested in being interviewed. Wow. And a lot of them um, are survivors of sexual violence and so they had uh, stories to share about about those experiences and you know why or why not they chose to engage with the legal system, but uh, yeah, it, it, I mean it wasn't tricky to find people who wanted to be interviewed, but I, I did want to make a make an effort to have people from a variety of backgrounds, a variety of different age groups, so it was um, uh, you know a thorough representation of the the different types of people that that exist here in our community. Yeah, wow. Now, Retea Parsons' father, was he one of the people who was interviewed, or he was one part of one of the shows that you did? Well, so um, all the people I interviewed um, are anonymous, mm-hmm. so I can't actually say who was interviewed or who wasn't. Okay. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, uh, uh, Retea Parsons' father, Glenn Canning, mm-hmm. he was involved in the production because uh, he came and gave a talk before one of the performances. Okay. So. He came into town, he was invited in by this wonderful group called Optiva, which is uh, short for the Ottawa Coalition to End Violence Against Women. Mm. And they contacted him and told him about the show, and he agreed to come in and talk about what happened to his daughter. Mm. And um, as you might know, she was um, uh, gang raped at a party where she was um, not in a position where she could consent. Um, and uh, she committed suicide after that happened. and. There, there really were no repercussions for the, the boys that did this. Um, so that's really unfortunate. And so he's been a really um, outspoken advocate for, uh, for, for bullying, for you know, awareness around the legal system, for, um, you know, for, for dealing with these situations in a, in a much better way than, than what his daughter had to endure. Yeah. So what did you learn about the justice system in doing this project? Um, I mean, a lot. I mean, it, I, I think I, I learned more about how people feel about the justice system mm. um, in that a lot of people feel that it is not just and it is not necessarily the, the best route for, um, for dealing with a situation of sexual violence because if you look at statistics, 
um, a lot of uh, situations of sexual violence are not resolved in the legal system. Um, they're often dismissed for not having enough evidence. Yeah. Um, because the burden of proof is, is so high in a criminal court of law that it's, it's just so difficult to um, show without a doubt that, that these things happened. Often they happen in, in the privacy of someone's home. Often it happens with um, uh, somebody that the, the survivor knows. And so it can become a lot of, you know, the, 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 the classic saying, he said, she said, right? Yeah. Um, and so that's why it's so hard for these things to be dealt with because, you know, in a, in a, in a legal situation, it's, it's adversarial. So you have people on both sides. And so the person being accused, they're probably not going to come out and say, yes, I did this. Let's, let's resolve this in a way that works for everybody. They're going to say, no, I didn't do this because they don't want to go to jail. Yeah. And so you have the situation where someone is in denial about something they're being accused of. And so, and then, and then the person who is doing the accusing never really comes to peace with, with that. Yeah. So it, it just, it's not necessarily like a great way of handling these situations. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think now people are looking into like other ways of, of dealing with it. But at the same time, we can't dismiss the legal system as just, oh, well, it just doesn't work because there are some cases where it's necessary, mm-hmm. where like, you know, let's, let's say that there, there, there's like, a, like a, a serial abuser, right? When that needs to be dealt with. Or let's say that there are children involved and it's a custody situation, like that needs to have legal involvement. And so there, there's just so many situations where we can't just be you know, dismissive of, of the systems that we have in place. Um, but we also need to recognize that they, that they are flawed and that they do favor people who have money and who have privilege um, in, in all different ways. And we need to get better about, about being honest about those things. Mm. And, you know, the people I interviewed, they, you know, we talk a lot about how um, people of color um, will often not be treated very fairly by the systems. And if they are being accused, often receive higher sentences than, than, um, than, than people who are white. So there's just a lot of things to, to consider. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, I mean, it almost sounds like when you talked about the adversarial nature of it, that it, you know, you wonder if something like mediation would be... Yeah. In some cases, yes, that would be a better route. Yeah. Yeah. But it has to be both parties willing to work together. Right. On that. Right. Yeah. And then, of course, probably the person who's being accused is worried about their reputation. Of course. Yeah. So... Did you watch the Hannah Gadsby... Um, uh, I'm not sure how to really describe <laughs> it. Performance routine? She's a, she's a, com- she's a com- comedian. No. This wonderful um, piece on Netflix called uh, Nanette. Mm-hmm. I mean, not just Netflix. She's performed it everywhere. But it's anyway. She she talks about how reputation has become almost more important than somebody's humanity. Mm. That the that the people who um, let let's say you know a, a, a situation has occurred and this person is being accused of something, and let's say that they did it. Let's say that this actually happened, right? But because of the stigma that we have around these, these situations of sexual violence, they would rather deny that it happened and preserve the reputation than actually deal with it and maintain their, their dignity as humans, yeah. right? So, and I can understand why, because, because we've had this, this tendency to, to look, at, look at people who commit these crimes as monsters. Yeah. When what we're recognizing now is that all kinds of people do this and people we might see as otherwise good I mean, they have done a lot of great things in their lives but they've also committed an act of sexual violence right. so how do you reconcile those ideas yeah. how do you talk about somebody who maybe is is a fantastic friend or somebody that you admire greatly or someone who has lots of talent and yet they have done these things right. you know people are not black and white there's lots of you know um there's there's it's that they're complicated mm-hmm. and so we have to, and you know, if another example is looking at, um, you know, early feminists like Emily Murphy, for instance, mm-hmm. right? She did amazing things for the suffragette movement, and yet she was incredibly racist and was um, one of the uh, proponents of, um, of selective uh, eugenics. Oh, God. Right? So, so we can't forget the amazing things that she contributed, but it's also not right to ignore 
the negative things that she was perpetrating. Mm. And I think the same thing for these people who are now being accused of, of sexual assault yeah. is, is, yes, we can recognize you know, celebrities, for instance, right, for the amazing work that they've done, but also say, well, we can't, we can't just excuse their behavior because they made a great film. Mm. So it's, it's something that I think we're, we're learning how to talk about these things, and they're not easy, and I think people often will start picking sides in these situations, and, and then it becomes a very divisive conversation. Yeah. And, I, and I've been in, I, I'm, I'm often having conversations like this with people who are, who are close to me, mm. where they'll be very adamant about picking a certain side and not be able to see another perspective. And, that, and that's partly why I also felt the need to, to put on this performance, because I wanted to create a space for dialogue where it isn't just one thing or the other, but these things, these, 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 these complex situations can exist where we don't always have the right answers and we're still figuring out the language to talk about these issues because wow. we, don't, we don't have that yet. Hmm. That's really fantastic, actually. Um, and to bring it back to like dialogue and, and the black, not, things not being black and white, you know, it makes you makes me ask myself if I if I was friends with someone and then I found out that they had yeah. done something like this how would you like if it was a really close friend of yours what would yeah. you do yeah and what does forgiveness look like what does like whatever atoning for something look like for for me being friends with that person and for like the victim with that person yeah yeah like I so I have a friend who's um whose uh, partner uh, raped somebody, another friend of mine. And I told my friend that this happened um, so that she would know. And he has not taken responsibility for what happened. And I have since told him that, um, you know, my friend is, is, is welcome to date whoever she wants, but he is uninvited to my house. And if, uh, and if I see him at an event, I will probably leave. And I have communicated that to him. But that has caused a rift in my friendship with this other person, right? Mm. And, so, and so we make these choices about who we're going to associate with and who we're going to forgive and what relationships we're going to maintain. And it's not always easy. And I don't even know if that was the right choice, mm -hmm. but that's the choice that I made. And maybe I would have made a different choice if I had known him better and if he was a closer friend of mine. Um, maybe it would have been harder for me to, to write him off. I don't know. Yeah. But um, I think we're at a point where we're, we are having to make those tough choices. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, okay, so two things I wanted to say about that. Um, Maya Angelou was on a podcast that I listened to recently called Soul Conversations. Yeah. And she talked about having a party and someone at her party saying some homophobic, racist mm -hmm. uh, thing. And, um, and she went to go get their jacket. And, well, and she said, I'm going to ask you to leave. Did you come with anyone? You know, is it, this is your jacket. You know, and it's, it creates a social wave. But yeah. it's, it's st standing your ground and putting some boundaries, you know. Yeah. It's not just about keep, it's not, it's, it's not enough to just keep the peace no matter what. You know, yeah. um, I think we're done with keeping the peace. <laughs> yeah. But I think the question now is, how much do we want to exclude people? Because, because if we, if we're, uh, and I respect what she did. That sounds like it's her house. She can do whatever, whatever she wants. Yeah. But if we are constantly telling people to leave, then they're going to go off and have their own little groups and yeah. their own little beliefs, and we're going to have ours, and then we're not going to be in dialogue anymore. Yeah. And that's also a problem. Yeah. So. There are some cases where we need to set boundaries and there are some cases where we need to open up and say like, yeah, this is a difficult conversation and I'm not enjoying this, but I think I'm at a point, like I'm in a mood where I can deal with it right now. Mm -hmm. But you also have to you know, recognize for yourself how much emotional energy you want to put into these conversations. Because to hear somebody like, you know, I've had conversations about the idea of false accusations and people say like, well, false accusations happen all the time and it's a really serious issue. And I'm like, you know what? Yeah, they do happen sometimes and that is really serious, but it's nowhere near the amount that is suggested oh, yeah. in the media and in you know, these conversations. Yes. And, but, but, but people have this perception that this is like a really common problem, yes. that like women lie about rape all the time yes. and that it's like, that it, and it's just not like, 
you, the, the evidence does not back that up. Yeah. And yet, to try and tell somebody out of the conversation, they, when, when you have that kind of core belief, no matter how, what statistics you might throw at them or what evidence you might give, that's what they believe. Because maybe they had like a really close experience mm-hmm. that, that validates that belief, and that's all they're going to hear or understand in that moment. So, so yeah, bringing, bringing logic into an emotional conversation is not always the best route, right? Like, it's yeah. not always the way, to, the way to handle these things. Yeah. And to your point, uh, just, just on the, the facts of it, um, it's not more falsely reported than any other crime. Exactly, yes. And, yes. and in fact, it's, it's considered to be widely underreported. Yes. So, um, and we saw with the Brett Kavanaugh trial that there was this panic amongst, like, mothers saying, well... It's a scary time to be a young man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> My son could be next, you know? It's yeah. Like, so, yeah. Your son could also be a, a victim of sexual assault, but mm-hmm. we don't talk about that, do we? Yeah, yeah. No, one in six... One in six. Um, yeah. And for women, I, I, I think it's... What it's is one it? in one in four these one days. In, one in four. But again, it's, it's so hard to, to... To... The numbers are evolving. Yeah. I mean, and because, because it's so underreported, you wonder, well, is it more than that? Mm. You know, I, I, I feel like every other woman I talk to has had some kind of experience of sexual assault. Yeah. It's, it's, it is it's so common. It makes me wonder now I'm like transporting myself to being in the room you know watching the Gameshi effect being performed and wondering what kind of impact it's having on the audience like what what have you seen in how audiences react to this people are talking which is really why we did the play in the first place Mm -hmm. you know we always have talk backs afterwards people stay and often they'll ask questions or tell their own stories and I mean I can't even count the number of times I've had someone come up to me and and want to tell me what happened to them mm. when they were a child or you know when they started university or and so I hear those stories a lot and I often hear from people does this count is this really rape you know because they they always think like that their situation could could have been worse and so a lot of people I talk to they 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 almost undermine what happened to them because or they normalize it, you know, I think that happens a lot, where they're like, well, yeah, I didn't really want to, but, but it happened, you know, and, and they try and, like, make it seem like not a big deal. Yeah. So, yeah, and it often, it often results in, like, some really tricky conversations, and, but I'm, but I'm glad, I'm glad to have the opportunity to have those conversations, mm. and it was especially moving to do the show, like, we did a tour recently, and we went across the country, and, um, went to a lot of like university settings and there were students you know 18 19 and they had a lot of smart things to say and there were a lot of like they just really really happy I think to have that conversation because many many people aren't having that conversation with them and so there were young men who were like how can we do better how can we have relationships that are based on you know mutual respect and equality and understanding and and I was like wow like that's great there you're even asking this question thank mm-hmm. you that gives me a lot of hope mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah absolutely that was one of the other questions I was going to ask you is what gives you hope um, when you from from this work from this project that you've done what yeah definitely the the just the people who have come to the show and and said that either yes this resonates with me like they they feel they feel that their experiences were reflected in the show and they feel like they're not alone, that they're being heard, that there are other people like them out there. That's really important. Mm. And then the people who say that they want to make the world better for their generation, for the next generation. Wow. Yeah. And people who say, um, who have seen the show and said how much it has uh, healed them in some way. Yeah, that's really that's really uh, meaningful mm. to hear that. The- this like sort of a catharsis where they're watching someone else tell there's something that resonates yeah. with them. And like I said, the show is um is a is a documentary theater show, so the actors are, you know, speaking the words and telling the stories, but it's also a dance show, so they're they're moving at the same time. So mm-hmm. it's actually quite cool to see them like, you know, moving and speaking and how the um the vocabulary of words and the vocabulary of movement are kind of in, in dialogue with each other. Mm-hmm. And there's this one move that I'll, I'll, I'll try and describe because I know where this is audio, right? 
but it's almost like you have um, your, your two fists are hitting against your chest and your stomach and then pulling away. Mm -hmm. like it makes, makes like a, a thumping sound. Mm -hmm. And that's, a, that's the movement we use for, for rape or sexual assault. And so every time the word rape is used, it's often accompanied by that movement. Mm -hmm. And so there was one woman who saw the show who said that every time one of the actors did that movement, she felt herself being healed that much more. So it's not just the stories being heard, but it's also in some, in some indescribable way, the movement is also having that effect. Wow. Because, you know, sexual violence is about the body, and so it felt important to have that reflected in the, in the movement. Mm. Yeah. Wow. That's, um, that is a really powerful impact to have on another person. Yeah. And, I mean, I'm just, like, imagining, like, you coming home or like at the end of like a night of like a play like that and having absorbed so many stories and having helped people in a way. Yeah, it's affecting, but it, it's, it was, it's been, um, it's been challenging, I have yeah. to admit, just because, you know, just hearing that many stories yeah. and then sometimes getting reactions that aren't so good, right? Mm. When, when people, um, I don't know, either disagree with what you're doing for whatever reason or, um, or, 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 or found the show affecting in, in like, uh, in a way that they didn't like. Mm -hmm. So, you know, everyone's got opinions about how to talk about these issues and, yeah. and how to deal with it. And this was my way of, of, of dealing with it or approaching the topic. But, um, but yeah, it's definitely resulted in some like tough conversations. Yeah. Yeah. I was just wondering, it made me think about um, your video with the mean tweets. Did you ever have any people come in that were seemed expressly there to to kind of tear down what you were doing? or? No, that's never happened. Okay. okay. No, there were people who threatened to, but then never showed up. Okay. So. Yeah. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah. Um, I, I think it would have been interesting, and I, and I, I like to think, like, I guess, you know, part of my, my hope was that some of the people who were... Uh, attacking us on Twitter would show up and then maybe, you know, see that the show isn't necessarily too far away from, like, I'm not saying that the show is reflective of every perspective, but it does show a variety of perspectives and it definitely isn't preachy. Mm. It's not telling you to think a certain way. So I, I kind of wish that they would have come and seen that, like, we're not trying to, you know, preach one point of view. Right. It's, it's, it's about, it's about, about having a dialogue. Yeah. And I noticed that uh, <clears throat> some of your supporters are uh, defense lawyers, uh -huh. clerks, crown prosecutors. So you have people from the legal. I should explain. Okay, <laughs> we had a we had a <clears throat> sorry we had a fundraising campaign, mm -hmm. and those were just labels. Okay. <laughs> so, so yes, I did have okay, some. Okay, I was looking yeah. at the jury and the witnesses. Because when you're um, when you're doing like a. Um, Indiegogo kind of campaign. Okay. You have to give perks. Gotcha. And so it was the amount of money that they were giving, and okay. then a perk. So I, I labeled each one as a different. <laughs> yeah, no, it's quite funny. So, but like, but no, but I did have lawyers who were great supporters of the show as well. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. mm. Well, like to the lawyers that you've spoken to, have they pointed to any um, heartening advancements in in this area? Like, is there anything that mm -hmm. they're seeing that's yeah. hopeful? Yeah, there's definitely like people are taking or at least talking about having a more trauma-informed approach to mm -hmm. these situations. And trauma-informed refers to recognizing that a person who's experienced sexual violence has experienced a form of trauma, and that trauma um, presents itself in different ways mm -hmm. that isn't always predictable. So somebody might assume that somebody who has experienced rape when they're talking about it on the stand uh, might get super emotional and start crying, but not everyone does that, right? Like some people might actually like be kind of um, really numb about it mm. or they might get angry or they might cry or they might laugh, like, like, like nervous laughter. Mm. So, and, and, and we have to recognize that all of these are valid responses and it doesn't mean that it didn't happen if you're smiling while talking about it, right? Because yeah. everyone has a different way of, of dealing with it and normalizing it and making it palatable for other people. Yeah. So often like, what I, what I often tell people is that when I was doing these interviews, it was very rare that people would get emotional with me. It was almost like they were talking about going to the grocery store mm. and just like listing off the things that they, they, they bought. So it's, it's definitely like 
people talk about it in a way that's very matter of fact. Mm. And I think it's important to, um, to remember that because that's often used against people in a court of law, that they're not behaving in a way that seems like they were raped. Oh, I you see. know? Yeah, they're not traumatized in the way that you yeah. expect. Yeah, they're not, they're not showing themselves to be traumatized enough. But mm-hmm. you also don't want to seem too traumatized or else people think, I think you are crazy. Right. So you got to be super careful. It'll be like the perfect victim. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you think for the people speaking to you that it was their first time or that talking about these experiences or they had um, had spoken about it before? It was a mix. For some people, they had talked about it a lot, mm-hmm. and they were very accustomed to talking about it. Some people, maybe they told a few people, yeah. and some people had told me it was their first time. Mm. One, one woman talked to me and told me she hadn't even told her husband about her experience. Wow. Yeah. And she was, because she, she was worried about how he would react. And so we, we talked about that, and, and, and she said to me, you know, do you think I... I could, I should tell him, and I told her it was completely up to her. Mm-hmm. But that, I don't know. Like I, I didn't want to tell her what to do. I didn't know her very well, and I don't know how her husband would react. Yeah. But I like to think that if they're close and he's a good person, that he wouldn't judge her for something that happens to her. You know. Yes. And that gets into the whole business of victim blaming and shaming and yeah, the, like. Um, she was asking for it in this ridiculous, like... Well, she felt that she had put herself in that situation. Like, she's like, well, I shouldn't have been in a room alone with all these men. Mm. And I, th- I was like, well, yeah, I guess you might feel that way after the fact because of, you know, what happened or what almost happened. But, you know, I, I'm sure that most men don't go around being like, oh, I really shouldn't have been, like, in a room full of women. Yeah. You know, so that it's it's unfortunate that... that that women feel that they need to think that way. Hmm. I'm I'm really interested in in the way that this was done because it's it's public performance mm-hmm. and it's um, public consumption of something, and I'm wondering how different it would have been if you had made it into a documentary, like a film. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like like, <clears throat> what would what is it like to what would it be like to consume this privately? And versus publicly. Well, I mean that's been brought up a lot because if if we if we had made this into film or if we choose to make this a film in the future, the distribution would be a lot more accessible, right? You could just you know show it in classrooms. We yeah. can get it passed around. It'd be you know um, much easier to to access. At the same time, I think it's very valuable having people in the same room. Yeah. Um, to have that shared experience, to have that dialogue afterwards. Um, and so I think that, that both approaches have their value. Mm. But, uh, and I, I, you know, I'm not a person who works, has ever worked in film. I've always been a theater person, so that's just what I know. But I, I certainly wouldn't be opposed to doing a version of this on film, because I think that would be a just a good way of reaching more people. Yeah. But I hope that, like, maybe we could always include, like, an instruction manual about, like, well, how to have a dialogue about it afterwards. So yes. whoever is showing the film could, like, if it's a teacher, they could talk to their students about it afterwards. And, yes. Yeah, and make it a safe space for that kind of conversation. Yeah, and you reminded me about the pullback on the sex ed curriculum in Ontario. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, it's so upsetting to me, like, oh, that whole thing. Yeah, yeah, um. <laughs> I really hope that that changes. Yeah, I feel like this this new Ontario government is taking away all the things that I love, <laughs> or that I think that I feel are very important, especially for education. Yeah, you know, and it wasn't just a sex ed; it was also the Indigenous programming, which yes. is so important. Yes. And, and now, like a lot of like after school programs for under underserved communities, like it's just there's so much, and an Ontario Arts Council and the Francophone community, like it feels like all these really vibrant, important, and beautiful communities are being um, attacked or undermined, and that's mm. really sad for me. Yeah. Well, luckily, there's limited terms, right? Right. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Three and a half years to go. Here we go. Yeah. Um, so I, I know you did the show in Ontario and in Alberta. Yes. And I, and I know you did it in Fort McMurray, um, and I was sort of wondering, like, well, I guess in general, did you find that the reaction was different in different 
different cities? Did you find there was a different different vibe? Yeah, different vibe. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess. I mean, like every show is different, so it's hard. I mean, even like in Ottawa when we did the show several times, I felt like every show and every audience was different. Mm. But um, I guess, yeah, like the people who came to the show were people who needed to see it or wanted to see it. So I, I can't say that we reached all the people, if yeah. you know what I mean. Like, it's like, you can say, like, oh, sure, like, there's some places in, um, in Alberta, like some of the smaller towns you might think are a more conservative audience, but they wouldn't necessarily choose to come see a play like this. Right. Which is, which is why we wanted to do it in universities and why, ideally, we would do the show in high schools, because then you would reach... Um, not just people who you know regularly attend the theater, yeah. but but everybody you know any anybody who goes to school, mm. um, and you would be able to have that conversation at a much younger age. But I know that um, especially with high schools, it's difficult getting in there because you know the topic of sexual violence is is quite serious. Yeah. A lot of people are concerned about what we're exposing our children to, and so that's been it's been more challenging trying to get in there. Mm. But actually, in Fort McMurray. Uh, we didn't perform. Well, actually, we did perform the show in a high school because they have a they had a, a high school that had this really beautiful venue. Mm. But it was in the evening, and so it was a general population coming to it. But I did get to do a workshop in the high school with oh. high school students, so that was really lovely. And uh, they were aged like twelve through sixteen, and I did a workshop on documentary theater, mm. um, and talked a little bit about the show itself. But um, actually, tried to focus on something that would be. Um, Relatable to that, so we looked at the Trans Mountain Pipeline, and uh, at first they were all like, oh, we don't really know what we think about that, but I found out they did have opinions. Like, <laughs> once I was like, it, you know, it's talking about, like, um, uh, job creation, it's about the environment, it's about indigenous rights, you know, all these different things, then they had opinions, and then they were able to, like, create their own pieces based on that subject, so yeah. I was trying to encourage them to, like, look at the world around them and see what was going on and then create pieces in response to those mm. those uh, those sort of like newsworthy items. That's cool. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah, I think documentary theater really has that power to like really reflect the world around us. So it's a kind of a combination of like journalism and theater. Mm. I think that um, there were, so statistically the Me Too movement has had an impact on people coming forward mm -hmm. and talking about their own experiences and so I, I think I think that like you're onto something like you were really onto something by doing this project because somehow like this combined with the groundswell of everything else has made people feel heard, um, heard and not alone and that they can come forward and talk about it because even to your point earlier about how some people may not even realize what it was yeah. that they experienced yeah so um yeah I remember having a conversation with someone and sort of defining it to them defining like sexual assault to them and she's like huh and then we're talking through something that she went through and it's like this like moment where you realize like oh this was not not right you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, that that's that was my situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it was like years later that I was like, oh yeah, that that. But I just because it it was it was like somebody that I knew and somebody I was, you know. It, yeah. It doesn't feel like that textbook definition of rape. Oh, for sure. Where there's no alley, there's no like. Yeah. That's what that's that was sort of the way that I pictured it, but, but I like for me like one of the reasons I do this podcast is because I I didn't. I didn't feel that anybody talked to me about about sex, and yeah. I think that it actually did, like, it was a disservice to me, because then you don't even know how to identify. Yes, like, what is sex, right? If you don't know what sex is, then you can't even talk, and you, then you also can't define what sexual assault is. Yeah, yeah. Because, for instance, if you, if you don't include, like, oral sex as sex, then you might not consider, like, oral sexual assault as sexual assault, if you mm -hmm. know what I'm saying. Yeah. So, yeah. Or if you just have, like, a very, like, heteronormative view of, of sex, then that doesn't encapsulate all the the aspects of it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I guess I, I'll be a little bit vulnerable and say that, like, 
in the experience that I had, it's like something that I like held inside myself for many years and just couldn't talk about it, you know, couldn't talk about it to my own like mother, you know, and then years later it finally came out and I will say that she believed me like without question and like we like brought in the person who was involved and we talked about it. Wow. Yeah. Um, so did you, did you find that that was helpful for you? Yes. Yes, it was because then everybody knew and like, you know, I was young, so there was adults there and then there was the youth there that was me and the other person involved. And it's like, it made it real. Like this really happened. And, um, you know, she believed me like she really, like, I think that's the thing is to be we believe survivors and I believe you. And, um, I think that's really important. Yeah. To to start from that place of belief. Oh, for sure. For sure. So, um, yeah, yeah. I think it was very important. Very important. And so you had a process where there was like an open conversation and like, a everyone got together, but that would have been really different if you had gone through like a legal process. Oh, like God. that maybe wouldn't have been the right thing in that situation. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. No, it would have been like um especially because we were both like under underage. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I don't I don't I actually don't know what they do in those situations when someone's under 18 or if they're both I guess if they're both under 18, I'm not sure. Yeah. It, it definitely complicates things. Yeah, for sure. So anyway, I think it's I think it's really it's really important work um, that you're doing, and um, I wonder, like, what's your what's your hope? Like, where would you like to see things in terms of attitudes, in terms of behaviors? I would. I would like there to be. It's a lot to ask, but <laughs> I would like there to be a universal acknowledgement that this kind of thing, which is sexual violence and sexual assault, happens with a lot of, with some frequency. Um, And I would like it to be acknowledged that it shouldn't be normal and that we can do more to have these conversations at an earlier age and that prevention is key. Because once it happens, it's really hard to know how to deal with it, right? Whether you want that mediation kind of situation, whether it goes to court, whether you like sweep it under the rug, like I mean, we don't have good solutions for dealing with it afterwards. Yeah. But we have a lot of great ways of dealing with it before it happens. Mm. So, you know, having open conversations with kids in schools about, you know, mutual respect and about treating people like people and not like you're entitled to their bodies, right? And so there's a really great part in the play where there's a mother talking about raising her son and saying that uh, the phrase that she always uses with him is, it's only a good game if everyone's having fun. Mm. And that can be used in all kinds of situations, sexual or otherwise. And it's something that you can teach a kid regardless of their age. So you can start those conversations, don't need to be like explicitly sexual conversations, you can start them early by just talking about consent in the way that like, hey, if you don't want to give, you know, somebody a hug, you don't have to, because it's your body and you can choose in that moment if you want to like share that with somebody else or not. Mm -hmm. And if you want to hug somebody, they don't want to be hugged, then you should give them space. And just continue to say that like, if you're both not okay with the situation, then the situation shouldn't happen. Yeah. And similarly, like, you might really want to have sex with that person, but if they're not ready yet, you need to give them some space. Yeah. And maybe they'll come around and maybe they won't. And that's okay. That's their right. And it's always better if you're both super into it because <laughs> yeah. sex can be amazing, yeah. right? We know that. But we don't want to ruin it for ourselves or for other people. So just make sure you're all on the same page. Mm. And just, like, hammer that message home as early as possible and then maybe we'll start avoiding these kind of situations and we'll stop like you know thinking that that if someone is 
you know, holding off or, or being a bit like, oh, I'm not sure. They're just, they're just, they're just, you know, you need to just I'll continue pushing them into it. Yeah. You know, like we, we still have these very backwards notions of like women uh, playing hard to get. Yeah. You know, like, no, let's just be direct with each other. Yeah. If we want to do this thing, let's do it and have a great time. Yeah. If you're not into it, then you hold off. Yeah. I remember teaching sex ed and it's like so fun. I love teaching consent and it's like, I, t- I show them the continuum and I'm like, you can stop at any time. And I said like, you know, there's like this concept of like head, heart, gut and groin. Yeah. And that everything needs to be like for it. In line. Yeah. yeah. And everything needs to be for it. And if one part feels unsure, then you can just stop. Like, yeah. That's, that's the thing. You don't get back to it later, you know? Like, yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. There's no rush. <laughs> and talking about healthy relationships and stuff. And it's like, you know, I think people know, like, yeah. at least with the high school kids that I was working with. But it needs to be said out loud. Yeah. Again and again. Because we forget. Mm-hmm. And we feel like, I mean, every situation is different. Oh, yeah. Especially when you love someone. Especially when you love somebody. Yeah. yeah. And you don't want to disappoint them. Mm. Yeah. Or you give them a pass when you wouldn't give, like, yeah. somebody else a pass, maybe. Yeah. So, um, yeah, um, no, I think it's really important, the work that you're doing and I guess, okay, this is a complicated question. I don't expect all good to have the answer, but why do you think, what do you think are the reasons that people do do this to other people that people like sexually assault others? Uh, I think it's a number of reasons. I think... I think some, I think, it's hard to say some of the time or a lot of the time, but I think in some cases, it's a power thing and the person just really wants what they want and they want to have power over another person and they go and do that thing, regardless of the consequences, regardless of how the uh, the other person feels about it, they don't care, right? They lack empathy and maybe they get off on... Mm. doing what they're doing to the other person I think in other cases there's there are so many external influences that a person might actually feel like what they're doing is uh, normal and okay because they might see it in movies they might see it in other behavior that's being exhibited they might have pressure from friends Mm. They might be being told, like, oh, you know, women just act that way or whatever, and it's cool, you know, and, and don't worry about it. And, and, and so they just, they're, they're, they're just doing what they've been told to do. And it's not an excuse. It's definitely not an excuse. But we do need to look at the influences that young people especially are have, and yeah. we need to provide them with more positive role models yeah. Um, that demonstrate, again, relationships based in mutual respect and consent and equality um, and do more of that. Because I think that, especially sometimes when people aren't sure about how to behave sexually and they don't quite know what they're doing, sometimes they will um, shut off their emotions and how they're feeling and they, they disconnect from feelings. Mm. And then they just kind of like kind of just plow ahead right. and do what they feel like they're supposed to do and so and this is another line from the show like if you can't if you don't recognize your own feelings you're not going to recognize somebody else's feelings mm-hmm. and you're not going to see that the person in front of you is maybe terrified and maybe they're not being super explicit about it but they're just kind of like not moving or they're just like they're frozen yeah and you think because they're not saying no or they're not getting angry or they're not running away that it's okay mm. because you're just not connected in that moment. So that's why I also, like, when I talk to people, you know, especially younger people about sex, I'm like, it's just super important to be connected with the person you're with. And that means noticing how they're feeling, noticing their behavior, um, you know, sometimes verbally checking in with them, just like just to make sure that you're like getting the right signals. Because yeah. we don't 
all behave in the same way. So if you're not sure, it's really good to check. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think, I'm sure I can think of like more categories, but I think, yeah, in some cases, you've just got some assholes who just really get off on the whole power thing. And then in other cases, you have people who just really don't know what they're doing. Yeah. And I think that um, sex being taboo still is, does a disservice to everyone. Yeah. Because uh, one of my guests, Karen Bakey Chan, who teaches about consent, talks about sexual scripts and how people don't really have, always have sexual scripts. They don't always know how to talk to their partners. You know, and it would shock you to think that maybe people who've been married or they've been together for a long time <laughs> might not talk about their needs, what feels good, what doesn't feel good, you know? <laughs> so. I still have a hard time with that. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I, can, I can speak really openly about my show and things we talk about, but when it comes to, like, one-on-one conversations with, like, my romantic partner, yeah, my God, I just, I sometimes just, I'm terrified mm. to, like ask for what I want yeah it's so hard yeah and I and I think that goes back to just like yeah feeling the shame about sexuality and about being direct with people for sure it feels it feels very vulnerable yes and actually it's quite difficult like not difficult but it can be difficult I guess from my own experience to find like the right words and to yeah and to tune into oneself yeah that too right Mm -hmm. because like okay again growing up in my teens I thought that, like, okay, I'm supposed to look pretty <laughs> and, like, make sure that, like, my partner is happy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right? That, like, yeah. It's, it's, like, so, you just have this very weird sense of, um, a warped sense of yeah. what pleasure looks like, you know? And then I remember, like, finally starting to do some media studies and, like, pulling out, like, a Cosmo and looking at it and it's, like... His pleasure, his pleasure, his pleasure, his pleasure. <laughs> what about mine, you know? So, but I think that, the like, with the internet and stuff, it's great because people can seek out now whatever information they want, you know? Yeah. There's still some, like, myths. There's still lots of myths out there, but it's nice because people can self-select what they, what yeah, they consume. Yeah, and we're, and we're finding now community, and it's nice that there exists, you know, these blogs online where we can go and and hear from other people who maybe have had similar experiences to what, what we experienced and to find com- camaraderie in that mm-hmm. um, and to feel like we're not alone in these confusing situations and these questions. So yeah. it's nice that, that that now exists. I mean, the internet can be, you know, like anything else, a force for good and a force for evil, <laughs> yeah. right? So there's lots of groups out there that I, you know, I wouldn't want people to necessarily be influenced by that and... And I think it would be a real shame if people learn about sex from, you know, hardcore pornography, for instance, yeah. right? Because uh, it doesn't give you a, a great sense of the context of, of sexual situations. Like, yeah. and, and how it can be more than just the actions themselves. It's also about the relationship you have with that person. So mm. I hope that um, when people are doing research into relationships and sexuality, that they're looking at... A variety of like you know more positive sources yeah. of information. Yeah, yeah. I have one last question for you. It just came in my in my mind, but um, okay. So I'm a little bit shy to ask it, but I'm gonna I'm gonna ask it because I I don't know if this came up at all in your interviews, but I know that some people have like fantasies and they have. Um, like rape fantasies. Yeah. And is this something that was part of the show or anything, any of the narratives that you heard or it's just completely, yeah, your, your thoughts on that? Yeah, sure. Um, I don't know if it came up specifically, but I guess, I guess we do talk about, um, behaviors following, uh, sexual assault. And Mm -hmm. so for instance, um, some people who experience sexual violence, uh, you know, different extremes, right? So, for instance, they, they might go off sex entirely, like, oh, I don't want to go anywhere near that, and I have maybe some issues with intimacy, and I, and I need to, like, you know, get through that and repair before I, want, I feel safe with another person. And then other people might start um, having sex with, like, lots of people or with a lot of frequency, um, and, there, and there's different reasons for why people might behave one way or the other or, or in a variety of different ways, right? Mm. Um, 
and so and so some people um, who experience sexual violence might deal with it by um, developing a, a rape fantasy. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that, that people who have rape fantasies have been sexually assaulted. I'm sure that there, there are many who haven't, but I think that's what we're talking about, right? Yeah. Is that like when you've experienced sexual violence, um, there are different ways of dealing with it. And this is, might be one of those ways because right. you can replicate the experience or an experience like that but you have control over it. Because presumably if you're having this rape fantasy, you have communicated this to the other person who is enacting this fantasy with you. And you're telling them what you want and you're telling them how they should go about it. Mm -hmm. And usually in those situations you have a safe word of some kind. And so it's about regaining control. And you know, we talk a lot, because I volunteer at a sexual assault support center and how people who've experienced sexual violence they experience a, a lack of agency because mm-hmm. somebody else is, is taking that away from them. And so it's really important for people to get that agency back and, to, and from that point onwards to make decisions about what happens next. And that includes the legal systems, that includes like, will I report? Will I press charges? Will I um, you know, face this person? Will I, and, or will I go to therapy? Will I go to the hospital? How will I heal? Like, they need to make those choices. Even if like you as a support worker wouldn't necessarily make the same choices, it's yeah. n- that's not the issue. It's up to them to choose what they want to do because that's so important in their healing process. Yeah. And so I think maybe similarly in enacting these fantasies, it's important for them to regain that agency so that they can move forward and, and really own their, their sexuality. Wow. Jessica, thank you so much. Yeah, you're so welcome. This has been really um, a fantastic um, interview. How can people keep track of you and find you sure i use all the social medias <laughs> or no sorry media is plural so social media um so i'm, I'm on um facebook and twitter and instagram as um i suppose at jessica ruano and i also have um a website for the gameshi effect which is the gameshi effect dot com and uh i'm pretty easy to find online all so right. look me up and uh, we're going to continue um working on the show so when I have more performances in the future. Awesome. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you.